Today, we're beginning a new series called The Forerunner. The one who goes before and prepares the way for someone else. For the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the life and ministry of John the Baptist, the forerunner to the Lord Jesus. And for this session, we're looking at how God prepared the world, prepared the world for John's ministry and for the greatest event in history, the coming of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, God incarnate to this world. As we all know, preparation is the key to success. If you want to bake a cake, you have to grease the tin first or the cake will stick. When my husband is doing any kind of DIY and he's drilling into walls, there's brick dust and plaster dust everywhere. And I, being the supervisor, will say, now why didn't you just put a little bit of newspaper or a cloth down and then you wouldn't have all of the clearing up to do afterwards because preparation is the key. Proper preparation is very important. Now, I did hear about a priest who ran out of time to prepare for a sudden funeral. He went to his computer, found the last funeral service he had preached and did a quick find and replace, putting the name of the newly deceased woman, Gladys, as a replacement for the woman in the previous funeral, Mary. Everything went fine until he came to the end of the message where he was reading the Apostles' Creed. He declared that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Gladys. Not quite right. So you can see the importance of preparation. So for our first session today, we're going to be looking at how God was preparing the world for the most amazing event, where the Creator would come in human form and dwell with his people. And you think, well, why then? Why not now, when Jesus could be seen on television all over the world? Why not earlier, in the time of Daniel or Elijah? But although the world was unaware that God was preparing the way behind the scenes and the timing was specific and crucial, this time in history was the optimum time. When the eternal world was beginning to prepare to send the Christ to us, the world unconsciously began to get ready. When the late Jesus was coming, three races held the chief influence in the world. The Greeks, the Romans and the Jews. They were the civilised world. Firstly, the Romans built the roads. A century before, the world was very much localised, you know, broken up into separate little nations. The land was harassed by bandits and the seas largely impassable because of pirates. Humanly speaking, for many years, nothing could have spread outside of Israel. But then the Romans conquered and welded the nations together. They built roads and the iron power of the Caesars kept universal peace. So the Romans made travel much easier and safer. But what about the Greeks? As the time drew near for the Messiah to come, the Greeks unknowingly were doing their part. The Greek language had become the chief language of the empire. Men all around the Mediterranean, as well as speaking their own language, spoke Greek, much as English is spoken today. 
Greek became the language of the civilised world. So people could travel more freely than they had ever done before and they could communicate with one another in a common language. So what did the Jewish nation have to contribute to this preparation of the world? You will recall that many years earlier, God had called a man, Abraham, and through him founded a nation to which God had revealed himself through the prophets. They were the keepers of the law of God, preserving the truth about God and about his promise to send a Messiah. Now, what had seemed like a tragedy at the time when they were taken into captivity in Babylon was all part of this amazing plan God had to prepare the way. You know, sometimes we think that God's not in control, that he's, he's like lost the plot, but this is not true. What seemed like a tragedy then was all part of God's purpose, and God is still working out his purposes in the world today. The exile scattered the Jews throughout the world, and after the exile, only a few of them returned to the homeland. Many of them just settled in their new lands or moved around for trade. Historians at the time tell us that there was no nation where the Jewish people had not settled. They were everywhere and everywhere they went, they took their religion, always hoping for the coming of the Messiah. Now an important factor in this preparation of the world was that about 200 years before Jesus came, the Hebrew Bible had been translated into Greek, the common language. So we see Roman rule and roads, a common language in Greek, and the Jewish nation scattered all around the world with good news ready to share. Just when the Son of God was about to come into the world, these three great peoples who were the civilised world were unknowingly used by God for the fulfilment of his great plan, the coming of the Saviour to a world prepared. But before Jesus could begin his ministry to the world, John the Baptist came as the forerunner. The world was prepared, prepared by God, but John came to prepare the people. We see John prophesied about in Isaiah 40 and verse 3. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. And we know that John is the voice that is spoken of here. All four gospel writers refer to it. Matthew 3, verse 3. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. And similarly in Mark chapter 1 and Luke chapter 3. And in John's Gospel, chapter 1, John the Baptist says of himself when questioned about his identity. In verse 23, John replied in the words of the Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert, make way, make straight the way of the Lord. When a royal person is coming, they roll out the red carpet. John is announcing the coming of the King of Kings, make straight paths for him. John the Baptist was himself a rather strange character. He wore a garment made of camel hair and ate locusts and wild honey. He certainly would have attracted attention. He lived simply in the desert and he wasn't bothered about the culture of the day. 
He was a relative of Jesus, and Jesus referred to him as a prophet, which was actually quite a compliment, as a prophet was one who spoke boldly for God. Now, prophets in the Bible were not known for being politically correct. They often issued warning of impending judgment. And John's message was simple. His job was to prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. A simple message. Repent of your sins, for the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is near. This is a message of challenge and hope. We hear lots of messages about how God loves us, and that is true. He does love us. But we also need to hear that God expects us to follow him, to live a life that pleases him. And if we find ourselves drifting off in the wrong direction, we need to turn around, confess our sins and get back on track. The message of repentance can seem a bit fire and brimstone really, can't it? But I heard this story of two old country pastors who um, held up signs at the edge of the road. One said, the end is near. The other said, turn yourself around before it's too late. As a car went speeding past them, the driver leaned out of his window and yelled, leave us alone, you religious nuts. A moment later, you could hear screeching tyres and a big splash. One of the pastors looked at the other one and said, do you think the signs should have said that the bridge was down? John's was not an easy message to hear. We read in Matthew chapter 3, verses 10 to 12. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptise you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hands, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Some people are like wheat. They bless and feed others. Other people are like chaff, and at the end of the day, God will sort the wheat from the chaff. So the question to ask then is, is my life pleasing to God? The kind of life that is pleasing to God starts with the repenting of sins. And because of the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, we know that because he took the punishment that we deserve, then we are assured that we can be forgiven and have a right relationship with God. That's what the Bible promises. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Prophets like John weren't known for their subtlety either. When the religious people of the day came, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Faith must produce actions. There needs to be no hypocrisy. We need to be real with God and real with one another. The kingdom of God is, he, is near, John said. That's the reason Jesus came. He loves us and he came to save us from our sin. God prepared the world. John prepared the people. 
telling them what they needed to do to get their hearts right before God. John was not the Messiah. He was a man, a human, a person well, just like us, well, or maybe it's not quite like us. I haven't seen anybody wearing camel hair and eating locusts recently. You know, you know what I mean? Jesus said about John in Matthew 11, I tell you the truth. Among those born of women, there has not written, risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. That's a puzzling statement. I take it to mean that up to that point, all the prophets of Israel, right up to John, had only part revelation. But with the coming of Jesus to the earth, even the least of us can be born again of the Spirit and know that Jesus truly is God. God used John and God can use you and your voice to encourage others. And Jesus himself is our forerunner. Romans 8, 29 tells us that Jesus is the firstborn among many brothers. And those of us who have put our trust in him are part of that group of many brothers. Hebrews 6, 19 to 20 reads, We have this anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Jesus has gone ahead of us into heaven to prepare a place for us. And if he's in heaven, and he's in us, and we are in him, then we have this anchor in heaven holding us so we know that we cannot be lost. When he died on the cross, he conquered death that we might no longer live in the fear of death. When my son-in-law Seth was dying, the vicar asked him if he was scared. He replied, no, not at all. Well, unless we've got this faith thing wrong, which she assured him that we haven't. And he knew that. His love for the Lord shone through and he was at peace with the Lord. And you know, I'd like to read to you some words that Jeff Lucas wrote about a friend of his, but could just as easily have been written about my son-in-law. And these are Jeff Lucas's words. I heard news of a friend who had battled cancer fearlessly. She died last night. She very much wanted to live. But at the end, sensing her time had come, she gathered her family around her bedside for a wonderful goodbye. That lady, faith-filled and feisty all the way, is home now. She died well. I shed a few tears, not least for her husband and family who will miss her terribly. But I'm reminded once more of what this Christian faith is all about. God is with us through sun, rain, healthy vibrancy, and disease. We are the people who grieve, but then smile quietly, for there's more. Death is beaten, Christ is risen. Even in the greatest of days, there is the certain hope of the resurrection to come. Death is beaten, Christ is risen. And thinking of that, I was reminded of the final verse in the hymn, In Christ Alone. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I'll stand.
And if we look at that hymn in the hymn book, there's an exclamation mark at the end of the verse, and rightly so, till he returns or calls me home, here in the power of Christ I'll stand. So God prepared the world for the greatest event in history. John gave the people the opportunity to prepare their hearts. And Jesus has gone as our forerunner before us to prepare our place. How then should we prepare for that day when Jesus comes, when he returns to the earth or calls us home? How should we be preparing until he comes or calls? The Bible is full of instruction for godly living. So I'm just going to let God's word speak for itself. Speaking of the end times when Jesus will return in 1 Thessalonians in chapter 5. Starting at verse 1. Now brothers, about times and dates we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labour pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you brothers are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. And those, but since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a best breed and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and to admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. May the Lord bless and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favour and give you his peace. In Jesus' name. Amen.